Thursday, February 9th, our draft prep continues here on the CBSSports.com Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Feeling better, Scott? Getting there. Yeah. Getting there. Me too. I think this is my last day. The voice is still a little prickly. Well, that's okay. It sound, I think it sounds pretty nice. Yeah. Probably sounds worse in my head. I was enjoying listening to you <laughs> in the car this morning because I was listening to the Tuesday show. I thought that, you sounded fine. So it's a lot of date weird now, either though. way. I What's mean, that? A little out of date now, though, being Thursday, right? Uh, yeah, well, but, you know, they have shelf life. So today, <laughs> position battles and one-hit wonders. We're going to look at a lot of position battles across the league, tell you who we think could win that job and what the fantasy impact could be. And then one-hit wonders, guys who had really good years last year, kind of came out of nowhere, surprised us a little bit. What's going to happen this year? Will you be satisfied drafting them where you probably will have to draft them this year? So follow us on Twitter at Al Melk, CBS, Al M-E-L-C, CBS, at CBS Scott White, at Adam Azer, A-I-Z-E-R, at CBS Fantasy BB for all your fantasy baseball news. And we'll take your emails later, fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com, fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Put podcast in the subject line. Okay. Position battles. Let's start out with uh, the AL East. Red Sox, fourth and fifth starters, Al. We're looking at Alfredo Aceves, Daniel Bard, Aaron Cook, Carlos Silva, Vincente Padilla. Not some great names here, but the first two maybe jump out, Aceves and Bard. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, maybe not a lot of quality here, but definitely a lot of quantity. And, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Aceves and Bard stand out. And among those two, or I should say between those two, Bard really sticks out, um, first of all, because he's you know made himself a name for himself as uh, a very, very good setup man who we thought was the closer in waiting. Um, and so this is why I like Bard as probably having the best cha- chance of grabbing a rotation spot, just simply because there's really, I mean, he, they could put him back in a setup role, but it seems like they really have something different in, in mind for him, given that they went out and got Andrew Bailey to uh, take over for Papelbon as the closer. Now, Bard, as I think uh, I mentioned on a recent podcast, hasn't started since Class A ball, and it didn't go particularly well there. I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. But these other guys in the mix, Cook, Silva, and maybe Padilla, you know, they could step up if, if Bard uh, you know, fails as a starter. But, yeah, I think we're, we're looking at a Sevis and Bard having the best shots to nail down those jobs out of spring training. And, and let's put it this way. If Cook or Silva does win a job, you don't want them. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bar- I feel like Bard is probably like a late-round sleeper kind of guy, right? And yeah. you're not going to yeah. touch the others Well, well, draft well in head-to-head leagues, uh, Aceves is going to have RP eligibility. So that could okay. make him intriguing. And then even Padilla, I think, with that loopy curveball he has <laughs> – it might not last a full season, but I could see him getting off to a quick start because he's fooling hitters with it. Yankees fifth starter, A.J. Burnett, Phil Hughes, Freddie Garcia, who went 12-8 and with a 3.62 ERA in 2011. He only struck out 96 batters, though. So who excites you the most if they win this job? I'm assuming the answer is Phil Hughes. You would assume correctly. I think he will win it. There's actually some uh, interesting... Uh, rumors yesterday that came out that the Pirates are interested in A.J. Burnett. The Yankees could eat a little bit of that contract, probably enough to make it palatable for the Pirates. They want an established starter. They're worried about uh, some of their back-end guys. Apparently, it, they went after Oswald. So. Yeah, they, yeah, and and Jackson, Edwin Jackson. Yeah. So it, it kind of makes sense. It definitely makes sense for the Yankees. I think it makes a little sense for the Pirates um, if they can get some uh, salary relief. So I think Burnett's going to be out of that pick, picture. And I just see Garcia as the better fit for that long relief role. 
and it would be a waste, I think, to, to put Hughes in the bullpen. So, yeah, Hughes uh, in the, the rotation excites me the most. If Garcia gets the job, is he draftable in a standard mixed league? I would say not. Okay. Let's move on to the Rays' fifth starter, Wade Davis, Jeff Neiman. Yeah, it's it, assuming Matt Moore is in, which I, I would it would blow my mind if they left him out considering they started yeah. him in the first game of, of their playoffs stint there and, and he dominated. One of these guys has to be out, and I think everyone assumed going into the offseason that they would solve this problem by trading one of them, and that has yet to happen. So uh, between Neiman and Davis, Neiman is the one you with the, the most potential to help fantasy owners this year. Uh, better strikeout rate has shown the ability to pitch deeper into games. Davis has, has really, uh, since he first broke into the league in 2009, he, he's kept taking steps backwards. He's not progressing, I think, the way most people thought he would. And, and at this point, he's not even really mixed league material. So uh, I still think at some point, even if it doesn't happen before the season, it'll happen relatively early in the season. Uh, the Rays will solve this problem by, by trading one of these two. Uh, if I had to guess, it would be Davis because he's younger and, and could give them the better return. Um, but they, they might just be waiting for him to show something this spring or to get off to a good start. Um, but uh, again, either way, Neiman is the only one you'd be looking at in mixed leagues. To draft, I would agree. Both of them improved a lot in the second half last year. And in Davis's case, there was um, some of his velocity returning. So, um, you know, I, I like Davis this year. I don't think he's going to be drafted, but he's, if he gets traded and he can find a spot in a rotation or if he sticks with the Rays, he's a guy I would definitely be watching on the waiver wire. Let's talk about closers and go to the Chicago White Sox. Matt Thornton blew his chance last year, but he's in the mix. So is 23-year-old Addison Reed and Jesse Crane. Matt Thornton might be more in the mix. Robin Ventura, the new manager, has, has said he envisions him being the White Sox closer. Now, obviously that didn't work last year. I, I still think it could work. I, I think uh, Thornton, he did something weird with his arsenal last year during the time he was closing. I, I think he used one of his... Uh, one of his secondary pitches more than he usually does, and, and I don't know why he felt the need to change, but obviously the results weren't good, and then he got back on track later in the year. I, I think he could be a good closer. Addison Reed, uh, the rookie's an interesting candidate because you look at his minor league numbers, really you look at his numbers uh, from his uh, short time in the majors last year and with crazy strikeout rate that is Craig Kimbrell-like, dare I say. So... Uh, he would be interesting. I'm not sure uh, a rookie manager would be willing to give a rookie closer that shot, though, unless Thornton just bombs this spring. Well, Thornton, we thought uh, we thought highly of him going into last season, and he was terrible. Yeah. So how are we going to value the White Sox closer, whoever it may be, on draft day? Um, I'm probably not going to draft him in a standard mixed league, whoever he is. Um, I do like Reed's potential the best here. I'm, I think maybe I'm not quite as high on Thornton as maybe either of you guys are because he did right the ship a little bit uh, once he was put back in the setup role, but it still wasn't the Matt Thornton that we saw two, three years ago. So if it's Reed, you know, he's an unproven guy, um, but I think he could ultimately have some, some value in some standard leagues. But Thornton, Crane, uh, neither really excites me. Indians third baseman, Lonnie Chisenhall, Jack Hanahan, Al. Well, I find this one interesting only because 
it's even a controversy at all. Uh, <laughs> I would think that the Indians would just go with the youngster, go with Chisholm. You know, granted, he didn't do all that well last season uh, in his first shot with the Indians, but um, he know, finished that, strong. He did his, his last yeah. nineteen games, three fifteen with four homers. Exactly, so. and you know, I think they need to give him more of a chance. He showed some of that potential there. Hanahan's a really nice utility guy, you know, who can play the corners, maybe you know, DH a little, but uh, you know, they they've seen what he can do as a starter. And uh, I think Chisholm Hall can, can do better if they give him a chance. Chisholm Hall have the potential to be a sleeper for a third baseman? I don't like that he hasn't uh, shown much play discipline in the majors yet, only walked twice during that 19-game stint when he was hot. And I don't like that. I feel like he's one of those prospects who was rated highly mostly because he was safe more than because he has this high ceiling. Uh, so... I still I still have a hard time going after him in mixed leagues, but he could be uh, he could be a guy who exceeds his draft position in AL only for sure. For the Angels, where do Mark Trumbo and Mike Trout fit in? Well, Trumbo, if he's going to fit in, it might be at third base. I mean, I think that's where he's got his best opportunity. But first, he has to prove that he's healthy, and then he has to yeah. prove he can field the position. And those are a couple of big big obstacles. I kind of feel like that option might be out the window for him, at least to start out the season, because he had the stress fracture in his foot, didn't get a chance to play third base in the offseason like the Angels wanted him to. Um, so I, I have a hard time thinking he's going to get at bats, and with all the the veterans they have clogging the outfield, Vernon Wells, Torrey Hunter, Bobby Abreu uh, at the DH spot, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I don't see Trout even making the roster out of spring training. Um I did see a rumor, and again, it's just a rumor, that the Nationals were interested in Borges uh, as their center fielder. That would be a nice fit for them and be a great fit for Mike Trout but uh, to, to get an opportunity with the Angels, but that's just a rumor. So until we see something substantial, Scott, I have to agree with if you. If you there. have a minor league slot in your, in your league, you can draft players and put them in a minor league slot. Trout for sure? Oh, oh yeah. 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 Because one make, of the best in that regard, right? Yeah, I mean, many people still rate him as the top overall prospect. Okay, but we could we could see him having an impact this year at some point. Yeah, because point. Uh, whether there's a trade or an injury, he'll he'll have his opportunity. Or Vernon Wells stinks again, or, or Bobby Abreu <laughs> continues to slide. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of room for the, him to step in there eventually. Who is going to play center field for the Texas Rangers? Craig Gentry, Julio Borbon, Leonis Martin. Reportedly, Gentry gets the first crack at it, and I, I kind of like that. I think he's a guy who, you know, could be useful as a, a low end guy, particularly in rotisserie, um, who can give you average in steals. But um, you know, I, I don't know that that Martin or Borbon should they win it, and they they both have legitimate shots um, that they really are going to help you much outside of AL only. Okay. Braves' fifth starter, Mike Miner, Randall Delgado, Julio Tehran, and Scott, you said you don't really think this is much of a competition. I don't think it is. Uh, Mike Miner, to me, seems like the obvious choice because he's so much older. He's 24, so he's at the age where if he's not, if they're not willing to give him a job yet, it, it means they must not have confidence in him, and if they didn't have confidence in him, why would they have been so stingy about uh moving him in any potential trades at the deadline or the offseason. Clearly, that's not the case. They they do like him. They do want him there. And he, he's shown the most in the majors so far. I know Randall Delgado had a good ERA uh, during his brief stint last September, but his strikeout 
rate was way down. Uh, it just seems apparent from his peripherals that he was uh, he was getting the benefit of uh, of some some good luck there. So, yeah, I, I don't think he's ready. I don't think you know Tehran wasn't that great in his time up, so I don't think he's ready either. Both those guys in their early twenties. Uh, there's a good chance either or both of them could be up at some point with all the the injury issues going on in the Braves rotation. Um, and, and Jair Jurgen's probably going to be on the trading block all year. But to start out the year, I, I think it's definitely going to be Miner. Mike Miner or Chris Sale? I would uh, I would go with Miner um, because looking at a strikeout to walk ratio, I think he's pretty much there. Uh, he just he just needs to get over that last hump. Uh, Sale is still. We don't know what to expect from him as a starting pitcher. Mike Miner or Ivan Nova? Um, I'd go Nova. Yeah, I think I think just uh, too proven there, Nova. Mike Miner went one spot ahead of Nova in our 12-team roto draft in round 20 of a 23-round draft. Okay, and finally, the Giants. Do they have room for both Brandon Belt and Aubrey Huff? I think they do. Um, now, the way it stands now, they really only have room for one of them, and that would be at first base because we've got Nate Shireholtz playing in, in right field, and, of course, they got the two new guys filling out the outfield, Melky Cabrera and uh, Angel Bagan. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that Shireholtz has that job uh, etched in stone. I'm not even sure that he has it at all. I, I, I know Bruce Bochy said at, at one point this offseason they really want Aubrey Huff back in left field, and, and that's where they intend to play him. So, I mean, mm. you you realign the outfield. you got Melky Cabrera in right, Pagan in center, and, and Huff in left, and obviously Belt's there. And I, I mean, like you said, Shearholtz, uh doesn't really have the upside in comparison to, uh, well, the ceiling in comparison to either Huff or Belt. So, offensively, that's going to be their best arrangement. Yeah, and I certainly would want to see Belt get the first crack at first base if there's any controversy at all, because I, th- I think at this point Huff might be done. Where would Belt be, like a top 15 first baseman? Uh, no, no. Not um, not it's too deep, but he is getting drafted, and in, in, I think he's gotten drafted in every mock draft we've had, um, but and he's eligible late, in the outfield. Though. Yeah, as a late rounder, okay. but... I mean that a guy who didn't do much as a rookie, but obviously still has tons of potential. Uh, that that's a good place to draft him, the late rounds. Yep. So we'll fly through some other position battles, and you guys will tell me real quick some fantasy analysis. Red Sox shortstop Mike Avilas, Nick Punto, Al. You know I'm going with Avilas, even though most places are giving Punto the edge. I'd like the bat for Avilas. I think that'll that'll win the spot for him. Any any fantasy value. Uh, I think he's got some low-end uh, Starin Mix League value if he if he plays regularly. He's got uh, good power for a middle infielder. Tigers' fifth starter, Jacob Turner, Dwayne Below. Turner's better. I'm going to say he won't be the one with the job, though, because at age 20, I, I just get the impression the Tigers don't want to force him into the rotation yet. Okay. Royals' fifth starting pitcher, Danny Duffy, Felipe Paulino, Luis Mendoza, who did very well in AAA. In 2011, who will win the job, and should we draft him in any leagues? Uh, Paulino, if he wins the job, AL only, uh, could be on a very, very short leash uh, with uh, those two prospects, uh, Mendoza and Duffy, uh, waiting in the wings. A's closer, Fautino de los Santos, Grant Balfour, Joey Devine, Brian Fuentes, who has some closer experience. Scott? 
I could see it going to any one of them. Um, I kind of feel like the saves are going to be divided between a few of these guys, in which case you should probably avoid all of them in mixed leagues. If I had to pick one, I'd say Balfour, uh, just because he's been the most consistent. He's had the most consistently low totals, but it's it's wide open. Nationals fifth starter, Chin Ming Wong, John Lennon, Ross Detweiler. Well, Nationals are trying to trade Lennon, so clearly he's not their, their favorite pick. Um, so I think that, that signals that they want Wong to be in the rotation. I know they like Detweiler a lot, too. I think he's got options. Um, and in any event, uh, I could see him before Wong going to the bullpen if that were the, if that were the choice. So I'm going to go with Wong here. And and I'll only, yep. yeah. Red's fifth starter, Homer Bailey, Jeff Francis, potentially Roy, Roy Oswalt. We touched on this little Tuesday. Scott? I mean, if Oswalt signs, it's going to be Oswalt. I'm skeptical that's going to happen. Uh, between Bailey and Francis, Bailey showed enough last year, I think, with the low whip, uh, decent strikeout rate, that you'd rather him be there, and, and I think he will be the one winning that job. Astros third base, Brett Wallace, just a 369 slugging percentage last year. Jimmy Paredes, Chris Johnson. Yeah, this one got interesting because the reports just came out yesterday that the Astros are going to give Wallace a shot there. He's going to take some grounders at third. They're going to give him a chance to win that job. Uh, they really don't like Chris Johnson, uh, which is unfortunate because I think he was a lot better than what he showed last year before he did lose the job to Paredes. Um, you know, I, I right now, if I had to handicap it, I'd give Wallace the edge because I think the fact that they're going out of their way to get him back to his old position there um, shows that they're not really in love with either Paredes or Johnson. Wallace or Chisenhall? Chisenhall. Okay. Yeah, so Wallace would be an NL-only guy. Cardinals second baseman, Tyler Green, Daniel Descalso. Oh, Green has had good minor league numbers, has done nothing in, in three years in the majors, and I think... I think the Cardinals just prefer Descalso. Descalso has, in my mind, zero chance of helping in mixed leagues, though. So um, a guy to avoid outside of NL only. And finally, Dodgers left field. Jerry Sands, Juan Rivera. Rivera had 25 home runs in 2009, 26 combined in 2010 and 2011. Sands and Rivera, I suppose people would get a little excited if it were Sands for upside. Yeah, I absolutely would. And I think if Sands goes to AAA, uh, which some reports are, are speculating that that's what's going to happen, Rivera's just the placeholder, uh, and it could be for a very short time. So that's one. I wouldn't even watch that closely. If Rivera wins out, I don't think he has that job for very long. Our next segment is called One Hit Wonders with a question mark. We are looking at players who exceeded expectations last year, guys like Melky Cabrera, Drubal Cabrera, mm, I don't think there are any other Cabreras, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Roberts, etc. So we'll take a look at this and tell you, I guess, what you can expect this year and will you be satisfied drafting them where we think they'll be drafted. So let's start out with Melky Cabrera, and I know we talked about him. I think on last show, Scott, you said this was one of the three worst offseason moves, Cabrera going to the Giants. He was the number eight outfielder in head-to-head and roto leagues in 2011. So will we be happy drafting him this year? Nobody's going to draft him as the eighth outfielder. Right. If they did, they'd be very unhappy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'll try to look up. I think I did Yeah, I meant to print too. out uh, some uh, average draft positions to kind of guide us along here. But just the sense I've gotten from where people draft Cabrera is he's going 
you know, the 13th, 14th, 15th round range, which I think is an okay to take a chance on him. I, I think his potential is pretty high to completely bomb uh, going to San Francisco there with no lineup protection, a bad park, obviously. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to lean, I'm going to lean toward, uh, um, uh, I'm going to lead toward, you're going to be dissatisfied with Cabrera, but I think it's a worthy gamble if he falls late enough. 13th round in our latest Roto draft. How about Alex Gordon? Number seven outfielder in head to head leagues, number nine in Roto. You were always liked Alex Gordon. Last year you were all about Alex Gordon, Scott. I was, and I still am. In fact, I think, as is the case for a lot of these one-hit wonders, um, the skepticism is going to allow them to slip to a, to a point where they're actually going to be a value, and I think Gordon is, is potentially one of those players. Um, I, I think he might even have the potential for more power than he showed last year. And, uh, and uh, so if you get him as a second outfielder, um, then you're going to be satisfied. And you would take him ahead of Melky Cabrera? Oh, yeah. What, way ahead of yeah, Cabrera. And he's going way ahead of yeah. Cabrera. So, Yeah, that's what I figured. Let's talk about Cleveland shortstop as Drupal Cabrera. Al, do you think he can be a top three shortstop like he was last year? Absolutely not, unless something tragic and unfortunate happens to Troy Tulowitzki, Jose Reyes, or Handler Ramirez. Um, you know, he's not going to crack that uh, that uh, group there. So, um, I mean, I even have a little bit of skepticism with him as number four or five. Not to say that he can't, but I just I, th- I think the power numbers were a, a bit of an overperformance from him last year. So are you, are you reaching for him? But do you guys know off the top of your head what round? Okay, he went in the fourth round here. Yeah. So 40th overall, early fourth round. Do you, do you reach a little bit for him, or do you wait and take, let's see, shortstops going later? I'm assuming like a Derek Jeter or a Jimmy Rollins. Well, or here's a Bonifacio in round nine. Yeah, I'd, I'm not going to be the guy drafting Cabrera. Uh, because I just think there's way too much downside there. In addition to the power that Al talked about, he's he's one of these guys who um, strikes out 80 times more than he walks, and and just I, I think there I think there's room for uh, a a complete uh, a complete collapse there. Not that that's necessarily the most likely scenario, but it's it's possible enough that I'd rather go for one of those middle round shortstops. Mike Morse, Washington outfielder. Hit over 331 home runs, 97 runs batted in. Scott? I think I like him, and I think where he's going is is exactly where he should go, um, about the eighth round range. And it's kind of strange that I like him because he is a guy who strikes out a lot more than he walks, and, and obviously I don't usually like those. But what, what makes him different is that his breakout actually started late in 2010 when he was filling in for Josh Willingham, showed a lot of power then, uh, was obviously the talk of spring training last year. And then once he got it going last year, he he kept it, uh, f- I think it was like the last five months of the season, he was pretty much a stud. So... To me, that's a long enough uh, track record, or not track record, but that's a long enough sample, that a large enough sample, <laughs> that I'm going to take Morse. 
So how about the catcher, Alex Avila, Detroit catcher, was a top four catcher last year, 19 home runs. Looking at the latest Roto draft on our website, he went in the seventh round, middle of the seventh round, to Al Melchior. Now you could have waited and you could have taken Miguel Montero, Jesus Montero, they went in the eighth round. Yadier Molina went in the ninth round. You took Avila in the seventh, which is a round later than Matt Wieters went. Yeah, and I was really happy with uh, getting him there. In fact, I think that was one of those ones where I had him in the queue and had the fingers had my fingers <laughs> crossed because I thought this is a good value pick at this point. So yeah, no, I, I like him better than um, than the Monteros. Um, so the Monteros, yeah, <laughs> they're just they're just a you know a, a paired set. But uh, in fact, I, I really like him better than Weeders, and that's no knock on on any three of those other catchers. So. You like him more than Maurer and Posey, also, right? Well, not that I would necessarily take him ahead of those guys, but if those guys were on the board, I would wait for Avila, and and because I don't think there's enough separation okay. there. You like their, his value better. His correct, draft, yeah. correct. Um, speaking of having somebody in your queue with your fingers crossed, I had the. Fifth or sixth pick in the head-to-head draft that we're actually continuing today. We did the first four rounds, and I, w- I think I was sixth, and Scott was fifth. Does that sound right? That sounds right. I'm praying that Troy Tulowitzki falls to me, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "Oh, Tulo, Tulo, Tulo." And then I, saw, <laughs> I was like, "Where's Scott drafting?" I said, like, "One spot ahead of me." I'm like, "Oh, that's no it. Way. No chance." Of Plan B. Him. Yeah. So Scott took Tulowitzki. Predictably, Ryan Roberts, Arizona outfielder, 19 home runs, 18 steals. But I kind of remember him being a guy that hot at the beginning of the year and then didn't really have mixed league value for the rest of the year for the most part, right? Or am I, am well, I wrong? it's not as dramatic as you think the drop off. He was, he was still better than he, he was. He was relevant in mixed leagues the whole year and, and providing some power, some speed. But he was at his best at the beginning and. As good as he was, he still hit below 250. And and to me, uh, with some of the players they have coming up through the system, uh, Ryan Wheeler, um, I I just don't know that the Diamondbacks are going to give uh, are going to give Ryan Roberts the same long leash if he continues to hit for that low batting average out of the gate this year. So I think he he has the chance to be a big disappointment. I don't plan on drafting him in any leagues. Yeah, um, I mean. For, I was going to say I wouldn't draft him in a head-to-head league with three outfielders. He's old, too. A roto league, well, maybe. He's old. He's, he has third-base eligible, which is, yeah, if he was only outfield eligible, then I, I Well, would. actually, I don't think he is outfield. I think it's third and second. So, so two he's good. not outfield eligible? I don't think he's outfield no, that's, eligible. That's correct, yeah. Uh, third and, and second, you're right. So, actually, even all the better uh, with the second-base eligibility. So, I mean, he deserves to get drafted. I'm not going to be the one drafting him, though, because I don't. I think last year was the absolute best case scenario, and and like you mentioned, he was on the fence of mixed league relevance even then. So we'll look at some starting pitchers now. Ian Kennedy was a Cy Young candidate. Doug Fister had a 2.47 ERA, eight and three with a 2.47 ERA after the All Star break. And Ryan Vogelsong, 34 years old, had been pretty terrible in his career. Then he went 13 and seven with a 2.71 earn run average average in 2011. So we'll start with Kennedy. You buying that performance last year, Al? Not quite, but not enough to really make an issue out of it. Uh, I think we'll see a slight drop off from him this year, particularly in ERA. Maybe not in WHIP. Uh, it'll be enough to take him out of that elite category, but still good enough that uh, I would be thrilled to have him as my number two guy, and could do worse even as a number one yeah. pitcher. A lot of people forget. 
just how good, or, or maybe didn't notice just how good Kennedy was in 2010 with the strikeout-to-walk ratio. It looked like he was right there on the cusp of a breakout. The things that really separated him last year were win-loss record and innings. The innings, I mean, once you cross that threshold, you, you can expect that to continue. And Diamondback's clearly looking like a contender. He'll still have a good enough uh, win-loss record that he'll be a, a great pitcher for you. I took him as my number one in the fourth round of that same draft. I think I went Kemp round one. I don't remember round two. And then I Hanley, I was going to take a picture in round three, but Hanley was there, so I took him, and then I went with Kennedy. I think he was my number I've been taking him as a number one more in, in, in like, the fifth round, but the, the point is I trust him as my number one, even if he's not quite one of those top 12 pitchers. Yeah, he did go in the fifth round in this Roto draft ahead of guys like James Shields, Josh Johnson, Matt Latos, Josh Beckett. And we move on to Doug Fister. Again, 8-3, 2.47 ERA after the All-Star break, Scott. These last two are, were, not these last two, but these two pitchers coming up here, Fister and Vogelsong, both curious cases. I'm not really sure what to make of them because I'm not really sure I know who Fister is. I know he's a control artist. I know he pitches deep into games, and I know those are both great qualities. Um, can he be as good of a strikeout pitcher as he was toward the end of last year? Probably not, but if he's even part of the way there, then he's absolutely someone you're going to keep, you're, you're going to want, uh, he's going to be a staple in your mixed league rotation. So I wouldn't draft him um, in the middle rounds. I think there might be some people who do based on the way he finished last year. But as a late rounder, I, I think he's absolutely worth a shot. Mike Miner or Doug Fister? Doug Fister. Okay, and then Vogelsong. Yeah, so that came out of nowhere last year. That was weird. Can he repeat that? Nah, I don't think so. And There was even a bit of a tail off uh, towards the end of the season. So, you know, he, he showed us something. I mean, I don't think you can do what he did over, uh, you know, nearly an entire season uh, without having uh, some legitimate value, but not the guy who, you know, really became a solid, you know, sort of middle of the rotation guy in standard mixed leagues. I think he's a a late rounder at best. Vogelsong went in the 23rd round, the final round of the draft in the Roto League. Would you take Vogelsong or Tim Stoffer? Ooh, I'd say very, very close in, in value. I'd actually go with Stoffer. I think he, um, you know, it was the opposite. Well, actually, I'm sorry, not the opposite. The same situation there. Really struggled at the end of the season. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, the guy that you saw early in the year is more typical of what you'll see this year. Vogelsong or Burley? Well, okay, I, I'm not as down on Vogelsong as Al is. I don't think he's going to do what he did last year, but I think he can be a, a quality pitcher, and if he, he's able to get more innings than he did last year, his value would come out to about the same in head-to-head. So I think I might take him over Burley just because I know what Burley is, and beyond the innings, he's not really going to do much for my fantasy team. And... and so I I take uh, Vogel's song in the hope that he maybe gives me more. Emilio Bonifacio, Eric Ibar, J.J. Hardy. If you look at where they ranked among shortstops last year, very close. All in the 7 to 10 range in Roto and head-to-head leagues. So you pretty much stacked them up one against the other. Bonifacio, Ibar, Hardy. Of these three, which has who has the biggest risk factors here? I mean, who could fall off the, the ledge uh, and really regress in 2012? Well, the biggest factor is Cespedes, if he signs with the Marlins, because that would 
it wouldn't completely ruin Bonifacio's value, but it would deliver it a big blow. If you're talking about just statistically, I'm going to actually say Hardy here. And, and he's been a power hitter in the past, but he hasn't been a 30-homer guy in the past like he was with the Orioles last year. I, I think he's better than he was during those two down years where he kind of fell off the radar in fantasy. But if you know if he drops from 30 homers to 20 with the subpar batting average, it, it's not really going to be that useful in, in standard leagues. Um, so I think, particularly since you see him definitely going in the middle rounds, a, a power hitter at shortstop, wow. Uh, I think those people are going to be in for some disappointment. Yeah, and the thing about these three guys is that if you're in a roto league, you can draft these guys based on what you have in your lineup already because Bonifacio and Ibar are not going to give you the power, but Hardy didn't have one steal last year, right? So, I mean, if you've got power on your team, you definitely want to go with an Ibar or a Bonifacio. Okay, we'll take uh, Suspetus out of the equation. take him out of the equation. You definitely want to go with an Ibar over Bonifacio or a Bonifacio over Hardy if you need steals because you're not going to get it with Hardy, but you will get some power. It it might depend on need like that. I think think Hardy, though, is going to go certainly much earlier than Ibar. Um, And depending... Depend. Uh, I've seen. I think in. I've seen him go much earlier than Bonifacio too. They're a little closer. Um, so to me, Hardy seems like the bigger reach. Ibar. He didn't really excel in any category last year. He had a good number of steals, uh, but there was nothing to me that stood out as well. He can't do that again. That's just completely off the wall. So uh, I think Ibar is actually pretty trustworthy. All right, Al. We'll finish it off with the closers. Joel Hanrahan, forty saves, one point eight three ERA. Ryan Madsen, now with the Reds, 32 saves, 2.37 ERA with the Phillies last year. Brandon League, 37 saves, 2.79. And Kyle Farnsworth missed some time in September, finished with 25 saves, 2.18 ERA. Safest, riskiest? Safest by far is Ryan Madsen um, because he's the guy out of this group who's been consistently the strikeout pitcher, um, done pretty well with the closers role when given the opportunity, playing for a team that I think is going to win a lot of games and will give them a lot of chances to, to pile up some saves. So to me, it's it's no contest. And I like Hanrahan. I think he's a, a regression candidate. That 183 ERA is, you know, he, he'll be good without it, but he's not going to go sub two i don't think this year league not much of a strikeout guy mariners a real wild card in terms in terms of how many save opportunities and i do like farnsworth um you know i don't know how committed joe madden is to him this year took him a long time to really commit to him last year but uh i may actually rank him certainly no worse than third and and maybe even close to hanrahan uh for second out of this group which means brandon league is the risky one uh to me yes well then Shall we move on to the emails? Fantasy Baseball at CBSInteractive.com. We are going to come at you with two podcasts a week for the next couple of weeks, and then late in the month we'll move on to three a week. We'll have our position previews. We'll break down every position, give you sleepers, breakouts, busts, and tell you when to draft these guys, overall draft strategy, how deep is the position. That should really, really help you as we get into March and we get into draft time. So we start out with Jason. And he addresses Scott, and he says, Scott, I couldn't agree with you more about the NFL playoffs. Why do I watch 17 weeks when only a couple of them really matter? I, I don't get that, Jason. What does that even mean? Couldn't you say the same thing about every other sport? Yeah. 
And I, I kind of was saying it about every other sport. But <laughs> so NFL, then what are we supposed to do? Just stop watching sports? Only watch college football? Where the postseason doesn't matter at all? Except for one game? <laughs> I, you guys are crazy. I, this is the first time I'm seeing this email, so you've caught me tongue-tied. <laughs> but I'm still not happy about it. Uh, well, I am. Uh, I have a keeper <laughs> question for you, says Jason. I can keep one of these three players for a 27th round pick. Josh Johnson, Madison Bumgarner, Desmond Jennings. You know, I, I want to just jump out and say Josh Johnson because I think he's a Cy Young candidate if he stays healthy. But, uh, you know, a whole lot of risk there. I don't you know, need to tell anybody that. Uh, that's no secret. Um, so I think you take him out of the equation. As much as I like Madison Bumgarner, I think Desmond Jennings would be a, a, a real steal in that position too. But I know, given the choice, I would take the risk with Johnson. Scott? I think I'd kind of hedge my bets and go Bumgarner. Um I mean, it's a great value for any of the three. I'd keep any for a 27th round pick if I didn't have a choice to make. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? But it, we, we said last time that outfield is thin, and Desmond Jennings is already a number two outfielder, and starting pitcher deeper than outfield, so can't you make the case for Jennings? I just, I like Jennings a lot. I just think uh, he. Bumgarner, we know who Bumgarner is. He's an ace. He's he pitched a full season like an ace last year. Didn't have the win loss record to show it, but that's what he was, and that's what I expect him to be going forward. Jennings, uh, because it was it was still a small sample because he kind of tailed off at the end. I I do have some questions with him, uh, and, and I think that would be reason enough if if given the choice that I'd keep Bumgarner instead. Rich from New Jersey needs our opinion on the keeper value of Ryan Howard. He needs to keep two of these four. First of all, Ryan Howard, when do we expect him back? May is probably the earliest that we'll see him. Okay, so pick two then. James Shields, Shinsu Chu, Josh Beckett, Ryan Howard. No penalties for keeping anybody. Shields, Chu, Beckett, Howard. I think I would roll, rule Howard out because even healthy at this point, I feel like he's really fallen back to the pack among first basemen. So um, it, it's tough, though, because none of these guys really stands out. I think I'd be probably inclined to go Shields and Chew here. I'd be inclined to go Shields and Chew. I think I like Shields a little more because I do think he stands out. Uh, but the bottom line is those two are the best. And Vincent. I always hear you guys say pitching is more important in head-to-head -head than it is in Roto, but what if it's a head-to-head -head league that uses categories rather than points? Everyone I know plays in head-to-head -head leagues but use the standard 10 categories rather than a total point system. Uh, know, oh, Vincent, I'm, I love head-to-head -head categories league. It is the best <laughs> format. Good for you. You like that? I love it. It is a combination of Roto and head-to-head. -head. Best of both worlds. I, and I think, Best of both I think worlds. the strategies are a combination of Roto, head-to-head. The head-to-head um, the, the -head side is that you need the consistency from players. You need the safe bets. You don't want the injury risk, guys. Uh, but then the strategy you take from Roto is that no, a pitcher isn't as uh, as useful as he would be in a points league because he's only contributing in the four categories and because you don't I imagine the lineup is, is closer to the same in Roto in, in your category leagues is it a 23 man lineup or is it no three outfielders three out so it is a head to head head to head lineup, lineup. I, I, I'd still take it I mean I take hitters in general I, I think we say pitching is more valuable in head to head in Roto but hitters are still more valuable in 
in either format. That's what I say, at least. I the way I drafted last year was like a kind of a mix. It was um, I I kind of had a head-to-head strategy in terms of when I took pitchers opposed to when I took hitters, but I valued players based on kind of their roto value. Like last year, okay, this was yeah. obviously a terrible pick, but I took Juan Pierre pretty exactly. high because in a roto draft, he'd have more value than a head-to-head league. Um, so and, that, and that was a mistake, I mean. but that was the strategy. You assess players like it's a roto league, yes. but you add in the injury factors, you add in the consistency factors that you normally don't have to worry about so much in roto uh, because it's exactly like you say. Still only those categories matter, so you don't care about the doubles and triples right. and walks and the guys who excel at that stuff. You, you, just care, you just care about the homer guys, the steel guys, uh, the guys who can do all five. Um, and you, you don't worry so much about the Nick Markakis's of the world. <laughs> Here's the last emails from Terry. This is interesting. I have just talked my 18-team head-to-head league into a five-day scoring system rather than the customary seven. We will no longer have two start pitchers, and it will be more realistic. Is there a downside I may have overlooked? I don't. I mean, other than just sort of convenience, because you're, there's not going to be a, a predictable day of the week to set your lineups. I I like the idea. I like it a lot because I think that the two start pitcher does throw a lot of variability into there. I think maybe even a, you know a certain kind of luck factor in terms of you know who grabs the guys off of waivers week in week out. Uh, this is a little bit of an equalizer. I, I like the format. I don't see downside mm. at all. If you're, think, if you're committed to this, if you're committed to making those lineup changes in time. Let's say a guy pitches on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then a team I think has a Monday. I, Monday has like has four days, four games during the week. Maybe I'm trying to think: is there a possibility I could pitch on Sunday and then Saturday? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Absolutely, you got a guy who pitches on Sunday and then he pitches on Saturday, and all of a sudden he hasn't pitched for two weeks in your league. And and then th- there's that, which I mean. You're talking about you might end up having to sit your best pitcher, or you, or you, are you talking about something unexpected where you start a guy because you think he's going to be in one of those five? Sure, games any or... scenario where if you're only counting Monday through Friday scoring, which is what I assume here. See, I think it's probably a rolling. I don't think you would just ignore two days a week. I'm guessing it's a rolling lineup date where every five days you have to set a lineup. We're just we're just guessing oh, here. Oh, yeah, oh, that's oh, what oh, I was oh. thinking too. I'm that's sorry. why I brought up the convenience factor. Oh, that's much easier then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's much but, but, better. But you make much a really better. valid point because you know just through quirks in the schedule. I mean, there are plenty of times when guys get five days rest, and you know, or if something unexpected does happen, you yeah. leave somebody in your lineup and you lose the start. Mm-hmm. But that affects everybody equally, I think. Yeah, well, really it's going to happen. It's going to happen a lot more in this format because. You those unexpected things. A guy's still going to get a start within a seven-day period, but within a five-day period, it's going to happen a lot more. Where you just are out of luck because you started a guy whose start is getting skipped or is getting pushed back or whatever. Okay. And, and then you also, I don't know that it's going to completely eliminate two-start um, guys because there are times when teams do use a four-man rotation, even even uh, without the off day sprinkled in. And there could be a scenario where somebody does get a two-star guy in there, and obviously he's going to have a bigger advantage than normal because there's not going to be the other two-star. It, it won't happen that often. It. it won't happen that often. I think you're going to eliminate the you know the weekly rush to the waiver wire to yeah. you know snatch up this guy or that guy who's you know. If, if you're willing to live with the convenience factor, it, it's probably a better way to go. But there are drawbacks. 
I feel like an idiot. What a horrible way to end the show. I mean, what was I thinking? Eliminate two days? That doesn't make any sense. Who would do that? <laughs> We're done. We'll be back uh, on Tuesday with our next podcast. Have a good one, everybody. Talk to you later.